This is Profiles in Risk. Hosted by Nick Lamparelli. Every week, we interview those who risk life, limb, fortunes, career, and reputation. And those who work behind the scenes who look to protect and enlighten us about risk. You can find the show notes and other insurance-related content at insnerds.com. That's I-N-S-N-E-R-D-S dot com. Now, on to the show. Hi, welcome to Profiles in Risk. This is Tony Kanyas, and uh, today I am here with uh, Carly Burnham, and we have a special guest. We have Richard Lefley, and I hope that I pronounced that correctly, who is the CEO of MicroInsure. And we are very, very excited uh, because we have not had any microinsurance content before. And before we get started, I want to quickly apologize. Uh, Carly and I are on the road in Philadelphia right now for the first quarterly INS Nerds meetup. And uh, so we have kind of a, a different setup than normal, and we're both in the same place, which makes recording a little trickier. We've never done it before. So let's hope it works out. So we apologize if the audio quality today is a little bit different than normal. Uh, so, so, so Richard, uh, first of all, thank you for joining us. Uh, you're up in, in uh, London, correct? Uh, yes, we're based here in the UK. Okay. And, and uh, so, so this is uh, Friday afternoon or evening for you. So, so uh, thank you for joining us before heading off into, into your weekend. So, uh, t- tell us ab- about about microinsurance. What what is microinsurance? Uh, our audience is, is largely made up of, of insurance carrier professionals in the U.S. Uh, a lot of them young carrier professionals, and and I, th- I think most of them probably have never heard of microinsurance. Sure. Um, so microinsurance is just a, a very simple insurance product, um, quite often um, requiring very little information in order to sign up for the product. So on many of these kind of microinsurance pro- products, the the sum insured is, is just a few hundred dollars. Uh, the premium is often less than a dollar. Um, and the kind of information that we uh, are looking for in order to sell one of these policies is quite often limited to just being the mobile phone number of the person. So on many of these policies, we don't know even the name or, or, or the date of birth or the sex of the individual involved. Um, it's a very, very simple policy, which typically uh, covers, say, life um, or accident or hospitalization. Those are the three main risks. Um, and uh, the, the, the very simplicity of the product means that it's extremely simple to sign up for the product um, using uh, normally digital channels. Um, and that uh, the product can be um, kind of used by someone who's, who's not literate, so can't read uh, documents, but that can then submit a claim and get the claim paid the same day or perhaps the, the next working day. What does the distribution model look like? How do you find your customers? Sure. So because of the the kind of very low premium and therefore the very low kind of administration fee that is available within that kind of uh, premium, um, often just a few cents, um, we can't really afford to sell this directly to the general public. Um, So these these products generally are sold as group business. So generally you'll find that they're distributed through a a kind of a bank um, or through a mobile phone company. So so, um, a company like MicroInsure, which I set up, uh, we're serving about 60 million uh, clients around the world now in, in, in Africa and in, and in Asia. Um, and most of those are sold either through a bank or through a mobile phone company. Hold up, 60 million customers. That, 
that is, I, I don't think State Farm in the U.S. has that many customers. That that is absolutely incredible. How, how many how many employees do, do do you have in order to serve that that? I mean, that's larger than than my home country by a lot. I'm from Costa Rica originally. In fact, isn't that around the population of the of the entire U.K.? Yeah, it's it's pretty much the the population of the UK. In fact, I mean, the US has three, just over three hundred million people. So, you know, um, we're, we're getting you know it's not not far off uh, a sixth of or just over a sixth of, of the whole US. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's a big client base. Um, in fact, we sign up about a hundred. You know, in a country like India, we sign up about a hundred thousand new clients every day, seven days a week. Um, and so you know, nation uh, globally, we have uh, as microinsurer about one hundred and forty staff. Um, in a country like India, uh, where we have 35 million customers, we have a team of about 10 people. Um, so these are very, very digital products, right? These are products where people are signing up using their mobile phone, quite often by just sending a text message. So the model that we use is that we try to make it as simple as voting in, in say, the X Factor or, or America's Got Talent, um, you know, where you can just vote using a kind of an SMS. And so people are opting into these products using. Um, using a kind of by just sending an, an SMS and uh, and so we've removed all of the friction uh, from from the enrollment process um, you know we, we, we're communicating frequently with these clients uh, typically through SMS um, through through text message and and then you know where claims can be kind of entirely handled digitally and and where the whole process you know needs to be done profitably for a few cents that, that is absolutely incredible it's it's just so different, uh, you know. We're, we're we're used to working here in the U.S. where we're so heavily regulated by fifty separate states. What's what's the regulation like as as you're working in in several countries in several in, in different continents? Sure. So what what happened here was that you know um, the say fifteen years ago when when I when I started this company um, you know uh, back in two thousand and two we uh, you know we were looking at a situation where like 97 or 98 percent of the population, so by far the majority, did not have insurance in Africa and Asia. And so we, you know, we went to the regulators and we said, look, you know, if we continue, if we continue to use the existing models, you know, insurance companies have been around for for many many decades. You know, they've been they've been here, uh, they've been selling insurance through agents, um, and that model just won't work for the majority for the mass market in Africa and Asia, who are overwhelmingly, you know, pretty poor. They're, they're earning a few dollars a day. Um, they're really not literate. They they're not you know engaged in the formal kind of sector. They don't have bank accounts. They don't have ID. They don't even know how old they are. They don't have any medical records. You know all of the stuff that we just take for granted. Um, and, and so we went to the regulators and said, look, you know, insurance is really just for the very much for the top one or two or three percent of the population. So if we want to get down into into the mass market, then we're going to have to um, create a regulatory environment which enables us to do this stuff. And so what the regulators did was, you know, we used the analogy, I guess, of of kind of playing football, and we said, or soccer, I guess, and we said, look, you know, like, can, can you kind of like mark out for us the edges of the pitch? So can you mark out for us the edges of the playing field, and and say, look, you know, you, you know, we, we're not happy for you to do these things. But as long as you stay in this kind of in, in in this pitch, then then we'll let you kind of you know be be inventive and and use your imagination and and get on and do stuff. So the regulation, you know, we, we've been very lucky. We kind of created we created a, a regulatory environment which allowed us, as a fintech or an insurtech, to be able to kind of create um, new products, new customer experiences, um, to play around a lot with the customer journey. So a lot of kind of um, 
kind of behavioral science and 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 kind of um, you know kind of uh, consumer behavioral uh, activity went into this and in, in kind of designing these products and and designing these processes. And the regulator kind of left us alone and said, look, as long as you don't break these kind of golden rules, then then we're going to leave you alone. And that, that's really been kind of pretty central to our success. Have you seen any movement in the PNC space as far as microinsurance in these places? Yeah, so, um, I mean, by far, like I said, I mean, I think the majority of this is is life accident and hospitalization. And so, um, you know, we, we have also done um, some kind of property damage um, covers mm -hmm. where, um, especially in countries that have a lot of natural disasters like the Philippines, um, which have, you know, 22 typhoons a year, um, then, you know, people are very keen on, you know, kind of property damage from, from natural disasters. So, yeah, th those products have, have sold very well. I mean, you know, we have a street, we, we created a very, very simple product where um, you could buy, um, you could buy it basically in, in, um, in, kind of chunks of $500. So you could either buy $500 of cover, $1,000 or $1,500. And each each kind of unit unit of cover um, costs about $3 to buy. Um, and so, you know, your premium was either $3, $6 or $9. And we didn't, you know, ask you to declare, you know, what your assets were. You know, we just allowed people kind of on a first loss basis to determine how much uh, risk they wanted to buy. And then, and then we used um, kind of satellite information to be able to um, show which neighborhoods have been affected by typhoons. And then we just, you know, we didn't ask people to make a claim. We just automatically made a claim settlement based upon the damage that we could see through the satellite images uh, after a storm had passed through an area. Um, and so we knew where people were located because we knew where their phone was um, and we knew how much insurance they'd bought. And then, you know, when a disaster happened, we just automatically credited their phone uh, with how much insurance they'd purchased. So, you know, you can do those kind of products. Um, we've also done some interesting products around slum clearances. So a lot of these people live in kind of shanty uh, type accommodation, you know, um, makeshift uh, houses that are built often illegally on the edges of the kind of built up city. And, um, you know, from time to time, the government comes along and, and will just bulldoze um, those communities, just completely level them to the ground. Um, and, and so, you know, it's very difficult normally to buy insurance because it's not a kind of permanent structure. It's not, a, it's not, not built out of brick and steel. It's built out of, you know, uh, sheets uh, of plastic and, and wooden, wooden sticks. Um, but, you know, we've been able to kind of put in place insurance for, uh, for kind of slum clearances um, and, and market fires, which often destroy the, the, the entire area. So, yeah, I mean, we, we have been able to do that. Interestingly, a lot of people aren't interested in, in traditional kind of PNC cover. I, I think it's because they, they really exist kind of outside of the formal sector and they're worried that if they declare that they have any kind of property, then the government will start to want to tax them. Mm -hmm. Did uh did microinsurance exist at all before, let's say, the year two thousand? Because it kind of sounds like like we just wouldn't have had the technology to to uh to to be able to do it before just the last decade or so. Yeah, so I mean, there were some really early pioneers. So you know, guys like uh, Mike McCord at the Microinsurance Center uh, was probably one of the early pioneers. He started doing it in Uganda. Um, probably late in the late 90s um, with a microfinance bank called Finca. Um, and um, that was probably one of the, the first kind of experiments. So certainly people were starting to do this in the microfinance sector, um, which is just, you know, uh, banks making very small loans, you know, a few hundred dollars um, to groups of women. Um, but, you know, it really took off um, in, the, in the early 2000s when companies like MicroInsure 
were able to start working with mobile phone companies, uh, and we found a way of of working uh, with with the mobile phone companies. And I mean, I'm very happy to share details of, of how we did that if you're interested. Yeah, uh, absolutely, and especially. It's 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 very interesting. I'm I'm assuming that that your average customer is not running around with an iPhone seven. <laughs> so so you're no. dealing with a different world of technology. Sure. I mean, we, we're dealing with people here who have you know the old gray screen phones where um, you know you have just some, some digits on the front. You know the old Nokia type phones. In fact, most of them have the secondhand phones that we discarded ten years ago. They've mm -hmm. made their way through the system and they've they've popped out as secondhand phones in Africa and people buy them for a few dollars. Um, so. I mean, basically what happened with the mobile phone companies was that we, um, we worked out that we needed to distribute our products um, through them, um, but we were slightly kind of worried about where to start with them. So we, we approached the mobile phone companies and we, we initially started to try and put the mobile phone onto their kind of payment wallets. So um, payment wallets like, you know, imagine like PayPal really, I guess, is the, is the nearest um, equivalent, um, you know, for us. Um, and, and so people... Um, had created, or the mobile phone companies had created these kind of PayPal services which you could use on your phone to transmit money because there, there aren't ATM machines, no one has, you know, payment cards. So if you want to send money to your friend or, or, or pay a bill, then you could use this kind of service from your phone. Um, but they were, you know, the mobile phone companies were really struggling to get people to, um, to take these wallets and start using them. And so they, they were hopeful that if we put insurance um, onto this kind of uh, payment wallet, then it would encourage people to start making transactions and buying stuff. Um, but it really didn't work. And, and, and um, you know, it was a real kind of slap in the face in many ways because I think we, we had to wake up and realize that, you know, no one wakes up really in the morning wanting to buy insurance. And so just, just because you put it on your phone doesn't actually suddenly make, mean that, you know, people are going to go, wow, you know, let me buy insurance. It's on my mobile phone. Um, and, and so that was a real wake up for us. So we, we went back to kind of square one and we started and, we, and when we looked at these, um, these uh, mobile phone companies, what we realized was that the majority of their clients are, are kind of prepaid clients. So these are clients who, who buy small amounts of top up, often you know, maybe a dollar of, of top up and they top their phone up and then they make the calls that they want to make um, and, and they regularly top up their phone. But the average consumer um, in these countries may be topping up their phone with say $5 of, of airtime um, and uh, over the course of a month. But they actually do that across two or three different mobile network operators. So they actually have two or three different SIM cards. Maybe they have one with Vodafone, maybe they have one with you know, um, Orange, um, you know, one with another mobile phone company. And, and so they may be spending say $2 um, on, on each of these mobile network operators. And so our breakthrough with the mobile phone companies came when uh, we, approached the, we approached the telcos and said, look, People don't wake up wanting to buy insurance, but they do wake up worrying about the risks they face. They wake up worrying about what happens if my, my husband dies or my kids get sick uh, or there's you know, damage to my property. Um, and, and so if we package insurance into the purchase of airtime, so if you buy more airtime with, with one network, then you get more free insurance. Then we'll give people a reason to prioritize using one mobile phone company over another mobile phone company. And so this seemed to work. And, and, and it was um, actually we modeled it on um, Angry Birds, you know, uh, back in whenever it was, you know, back in 2007, 2008, you know, like 
there were a billion downloads in 45 days of Angry Birds. And you know, like before Angry Birds came along, no one knew that they needed the ability to throw kind of birds at pigs, right? I mean, it just wasn't something that we really knew we needed. And, and in many ways, you know, insurance is a bit like that for people in Africa and Asia. That it's something they just don't know they need, right? So mm -hmm. we, we thought, well, let's try and get this into the hands of people for free, right? Let's try and get it into their hands. And once they start using it, once they start seeing that it's, it's useful that you know it, it kind of really helps them um, when bad things happen and once they see the claims get paid quickly and easily then it will kind of educate the market and really create a market for us to go then sell additional products to so that's exactly what we did we went to the telcos and said look give away free insurance i know it sounds crazy but give away free insurance in return for increased loyalty so if people top up more with their phones then they get more free insurance and it really worked. And, and then um, we got millions of people to sign up. In fact, we, um, I think we, we got a Guinness Book of Records uh, award because we got uh, 20 million clients to voluntarily sign up for insurance in 120 days. So that's the fastest, uh, you know, the, the fastest uh, financial product in the world ever. Um, also, not just insurance. Not just insurance, any, wow. any financial product, right, on a voluntary basis. And, and so, it was, um, you know, we've seen these kind of massive groups of people who have come forward because all they have to do is send a text message. You know, they see a TV advert, they send a text message, and then that's it. They sign up for insurance. And, um, and then all they have to do is top up more. So they, they, we then send them text messages reminding them, hey, you know, you've got insurance. Remember to top up more with whatever, with Vodafone, with AT&T, whatever the network carrier is. And, um, and that just keeps encouraging them to top up more with these guys. And the more they top up, then at the end of the month, we say, hey, you topped up this much, therefore you get this much free insurance next month. So, so whatever you top up this month determines how much free insurance you get next month. And it really encourages people to, to do it because they're worried about the risks they face. And so, so that, that got insurance into millions of people's hands for free. And then, and then what we discovered was when we, when we call back out to those people using an outbound call center, we're able to convert them across to paying for insurance in really high numbers. So we were seeing like 20, 30, 40% of people converting from this free insurance across to paying for insurance once they'd had it. And especially if there'd been a kind of a claim made in their community, because if someone had had, a, had an accident or went to hospital or, or had a funeral, then, you know, they'd seen this kind of, this thing happen in their community and, and everyone talked about it, you know, how quick, how easy it was, how, how quick the claim got paid. You know, I mean, we, we, we're paying claims in rural Pakistan, you know, in some of the most kind of treacherous, difficult places in the world, and we're paying them the, the next day. You know, if you if you get us if you get us your documents by lunchtime, you get your money the next morning. I'm I'm thinking that that for somebody who has never had insurance, uh, having a little bit of safety in their life, if, if, you know, five hundred dollars worth of 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 a safety net is is just a life changer. Yeah, I mean, well, that's how we started out, right? So I was um, I was 29 years old, and um, you know, I was this very idealistic guy working in the reinsurance market in London. You know, as a reinsurance broker, and I took a kind of you know like a Peace Corps type thing, you know, two week kind of vacation, and went down to Zambia, and I and I was living with this um, with this family. And I was pretty naive about poverty, right? I, I just thought that, you know, poor people, you know, were, were perhaps not very clever or maybe they didn't work very hard or I don't know why. But, like, you know, you just assumed that they were poor and there must be a reason why they were poor. And I was living with this family and it turns out that 
you know, they'd, they'd started life in this village and then they'd become like pretty middle class. You know, um, you know, the, the, the wife, she was a school teacher and, and the husband was a security guard and they had a nice apartment and a motorbike. I mean, they were middle class by Zambian standards. They had a good life. Um, and then, you know, I was with, when I was with them, they were back in the village and they had nothing. They had no shoes. I mean, they had one, one pair of clothes. And, um, and so, you know, I was really puzzled by this, this kind of how do you go from being poor to wealthy to poor again? And, and the, the lady who I, was, you know, who, I was, who I was working with, living with, she got really, really angry. She, she went in and she came back out of her little hut, her mud hut, with this um, snakes and ladders board. Like, I think you guys call it shoots and ladders, um, which her kids, you know, it's one of the few possessions that they had. And, and she said, look, this is my life. I'm, I'm trying to work my way out of poverty. And so, you know, I, I'm doing my best and, I, and I'm working my way out of poverty. But then when disaster strikes, when I hit one of these shoots, I, I go way back to the bottom. And in, and in their life, in their experience, what had happened was the husband, this was the height of the HIV epidemic, and, and the husband had got sick, and they'd spent all their money uh, on medicine and, you know, treatment, and then when he died, they gave him, like, a, you know, proper funeral, and that was it. All the money's gone. So now they're back in the village with nothing. Um, and she said, look, you know, I, 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 I know bad stuff, you know, she looked at me and said, I know bad stuff's going to happen, but can you just help me make sure that when, when it happens, I don't go back to the bottom of the board? And that was the start for microinsurance for us because for me that was a, a light bulb went off in my head and I said, well, you know, insurance isn't very interesting, but it, it provides that safety net for us, uh, for all of us, to stop us sliding back into poverty when when bad things happen. I, I don't even know where to say. Uh, <laughs> Career-wise, it, it was very interesting move for, for, for you to make. Uh, so you were a reinsurance broker. You made this trip. I, I can absolutely see how that was life changing. So you you came back to the states and you you founded this company, or, or how how what what did, uh, excuse me back to the UK. Uh, so how did you proceed with with after this change that that you had internally uh, when you got back to the UK? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I was I was you know I, I was 29 years old. I, I was kind of looking. Looking around at the people, I mean, I was working in, in a company called Benfield Gregg, which of course is now Aon Benfield. Um, you know, so it was a big, you know, big kind of reinsurance broker. You know, it was a great job. Um, I was doing great. I had my own accounts. I was making great money. But you know, I just wasn't. There was something inside me. I just wasn't really settled. I wasn't satisfied. I wanted to to do something more than just you know uh, do my job. And, and that's probably why I went off and did this two week, you know. Um, uh, Peace Corps type type assignment, anyway, because I was, you know, I was just looking for for what 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 what, what life was really about. Was I that guess. through um, your company or was that separate? No, it was just separate. I okay. I, I remember I, I was talking to I was talking to some friends and and you know someone just uh, kind of managed to kind of recommend uh, this way forward. So you know, and 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 basically, I mean, I came back and I mean, you know, I was 29. I was newly married, had a six month old kid. And I remember walking in, uh, you know, coming back and I was so excited, you know, I was, this was just so, it was so kind of very crystal clear to me that this was, you know, the way that I, you know, what I needed to do. And I remember telling my wife about it and uh, anyone who's got a young family uh, will know what I mean when, you know, my wife looked at me like I was insane, right? I mean, you know, why would you kind of expose your newborn child to, you know, this kind of level of risk? <laughs> so, so it was kind of difficult, but, you know, I was really persistent, and I think, um, I think, you know, my wife married me, and she knew that this is the kind of person that I am, and and she also knew that I was never going to really be happy going back to my to, to just doing a desk job. So, 
so we, we took a leap of faith. And, I, you know, I mean, looking back on it, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm 44 years old now, so I'm not exactly an old guy, but, you know, I'm, I've, I've had a few knocks in life and I've, and I've made some mistakes. And, I mean, I, I'm staggered by, by the level of stupidity uh, of, of what I did. I mean, to be very honest with you, I mean, you know, so I, I think knowing what I know now, I would never, ever, ever have done you know, have made the decisions that I did, but as it turned out, it worked out okay. And I think sometimes, you know, we're blinded to the level of risk that we're taking in our careers, probably for good reason, you know, so, because if we actually knew, then we, we wouldn't do it, right? But I mean, you know, so, I mean, uh, I think if you, you know, I, I don't know, I, I'm glad I did it. I'm glad it worked out well. Um, it's been immensely challenging. There have been days that have been kind of desperate where I thought that everything was going to be lost and, and you know, we'd completely, I'd wasted my life. Um, there have been many, many days like that. But then there have been many, many days that are, of a kind of immense privilege of, of doing something that I feel passionate about and that I love doing, uh, being surrounded by a team of people who are just, you know, out of this world um, in terms of their professionalism. So be before uh, getting to microinsure, you spent a couple of years, three years in, in Opportunity International. So that was kind of the transition. So tell us more about Opportunity International. What what is that? Yeah. So um, so Opportunity International is a microfinance uh, network uh, based in the U.S. based in Chicago. They're they're a fantastic organization. Um, they um, so so when I when I wanted to make this leap from working in in Benfields to working uh, in in this kind of not for profit sector. Um, I needed somewhere to start, right? I mean, you know, you can't just kind of like show up in Africa and start offering insurance to people. You, you need a, you know, you need a client base that you can attach to. And so, you know, for, for me, I mean, back then the mobile phone companies weren't really an option. So, the the best we could find was that these kind of microfinance organisations that were lending money to these groups of of women. Um, and so, Opportunity had this kind of fantastic client base, you know, banks across Africa, and and so. I, I joined them and, and that was really the start of microinsure. So we created a company um, and uh, they, they were happy and keen enough for me to offer their, the insurance products and use their clients, I, I guess, as a test bed. Um, and and what, what we did was, you know, started off working with Opportunity and then realized that, okay, this needs to go wider than just Opportunity. So we started working with other microfinance organizations. Um, then um, the kind of the Gates Foundation, um, you know, got got interested in what we were doing, um, and you know, we're, we're very kind enough to to give us uh, quite a quite a sizable chunk of change, which which by itself was an interesting story. But um, you know, they they gave us some money that got us uh, really you know accelerated in terms of of growth. Um, we, we learned a lot, and and I guess this whole period of of being uh, kind of funded by grants. Um, took about six or seven years and then, then we got to a point where we were, we were growing pretty fast um, and um, realized that in order to continue growing we, we needed to bring in kind of external investors so um, we, we started to look around and um, uh, we brought in uh, a guy called Pierre Amidiar so, so Pierre is the founder of uh, PayPal uh, and uh, one of the guys behind eBay as well so um, you know, we, we'd kind of we kind of crossed paths through um, some of the stuff we were doing with the Gates Foundation, um, and and he became an investor alongside um, the IFC, which of course is the World Bank, and also one of the mobile phone companies who who we, who we were working with called Telenor, which is um, the kind of Norwegian uh, national 
uh, mobile phone carrier, but they're very active in Southeast Asia and in countries like Bangladesh um, and in Pakistan and in, and in India. Um, so so that, that, that was the initial, you know, we brought in kind of initial shareholders about six or seven years ago. So, so I guess Microinsure had a bit of a slow start with, you know, six or seven years of kind of grant money. And then for the last six or seven years, we've been um, uh, then financed by equity. And we've, we've gone through three rounds of, of financing. And our biggest shareholder today is actually AXA which of course is one of the world's biggest insurance companies. So, um, you know, we, we, we've kind of gone from this um, kind of slightly irrelevant, uh, not-for-profit type organization funded by people like the Gates Foundation to a company that, you know, our biggest shareholder is, is AXA. So, so nowadays, you, you ultimately produce a, a profit. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, I mean, actually, what, 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 well, what Microinsure does today is... Um, so we, we kind of split our activities into kind of um, pre-launch and post-launch. So, so pre-launch, um, we actually design the product. Um, so, you know, that, that involves doing everything, including the pricing. But, but the most important thing with these products isn't actually necessarily the, what, you know, what's covered or what's excluded or what the, the premium rate is. That's not actually that important. What's really important is the customer journey. So how, you know, how is someone going to sign up? How is someone going to use the product? And, and how will they make a claim? Because those things are really the key drivers to the cost of the product. It's not actually the risk rate which drives the cost. It's more the administration cost. Um, so, so we tend to kind of like design the, you know, kind of own the proposition, I guess, um, and, and also do the project management. Because quite often these products need to get to market in, I think our average is about 12 weeks. So from the time we start talking to the time the thing's actually in the market, it's about 12 weeks. That's so fast. Um, yeah. And then, and then, and then, and that, that that includes setting up. Quite often, that includes setting up a, a new country operation as well. So, okay. so yeah, there's, there's a huge amount of work involved in that. And then, and then once the product gets launched, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't think buy... that we can. I, I don't think we can make. We can change a comma in a computer system in, in, here in the U.S. <laughs> uh, at the carrier level in 12 weeks. Uh, what 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 do you think is 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 next? For microinsurance, what, what do you see in the future, both of, of, of your of your organization and in microinsurance overall? Um, I think I mean we, we're starting to see. I think that. Uh, that there's a wide range of products that people want. So we used to just think it would be life and an accident, and now we're starting to see, you know, that there's strong demand for health insurance. We, 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 we you know, our, our strongest selling product today is is a very basic hospitalization product, um, which is selling like, uh, you know, as fast as we can put it out there. Um, you know, and, and, and I can see how, you know, companies like Microinsure can quite easily get out to 100, 200, 300 million customers. But I think the real challenge for us is going to be um, how we engage in a world uh, which is rapidly changing around technology. So, you know, we've, we've been at the forefront of using technology, but whilst today most of our clients have, have these very basic gray screen phones, um, we, we actually, most of the countries that we operate in, the clients are you know, starting to get very basic smartphones. So not, you know, not like your iPhones, but, but you know, a $30 smartphone. And that's now become the kind of the top selling phone in these markets. And so that opens up, um, once people get online, once they get the internet, it opens up, um, you know, huge new opportunities for us. So we, we launched a health insurance product in, um, in Bangladesh. Um, and um, in the first three or four months, we signed up three and a half million customers. 
uh, using nothing but Facebook ads. So, you know, suddenly our cost of acquiring three and a half million clients was about 60 bucks. Um, so, you know, it, it kind of opens up a whole new world in terms of what we can do because up till now we've been kind of really dependent upon other people's brands. And so we're starting to realize that actually we can own the customer, we can go direct to the consumer. Uh, and, and I think we're learning a lot about um, how people respond to these products. And, and what's really interesting is that some of those lessons, um, whilst they are unique to the countries that we operate in, so, you know, someone in Bangladesh is very different different to someone in Boston. Um, but it's, it's fascinating how uh, some of the lessons that we're learning can translate into countries like the US and the UK. Because if you can sell and service a product for a few cents, you know, like if you could do that in the US, I mean, imagine how, you know, how disruptive that would be. What, what kind of products do, do, do you think could be sold and serviced in a micro-insurance way in, in a developed market like the UK and the US? Well, I think, I mean, we, we looked at this the other, the other day, and um, I don't know what it's like in the US, but in the UK, a lot of people now are starting to, you know, they've lost their jobs, so they set up, they set up you know, uh, as a sole trader. Maybe they're in construction, or, you know, maybe they, uh, you know, they're, they're just a one-man a one -man band or a one-woman, you know, doing their thing, right? And, and especially in this kind of gig economy where, you know, people sit at home taking, you know, piece, pieces of work. And so, you know, they, they have, like, uncertain, uh, you know, uncertain revenue model for themselves. Um, and we, we designed, we started to design a product um, which would be, you know, very easy to sign up for, for the, for the younger generation. So again, very digitally enabled, uh, maybe as simple as sending a text message. Um, and that would cost maybe, let's say a dollar or $2 a month, um, you know, and, and could we then kind of cover the basics? So if you lost, you know, let's say you're a construction worker and you had an accident, you know, could we kind of have a payout such that you could at least pay your bills, right, for one month, two months, just until you get back on your feet? So, you know, these kind of very basic products, which are uh, very short term, maybe a month, you know, month to month, um, and very, very low cost, that, that are simple to sign up for, simple to understand, um, very, very transparent, you know, no, you know, no exclusions. Um, so if you just have an accident, that's it. We'll we'll pay you a few hundred dollars, and and that that won't that won't you know be life changing, but it will help you kind of get through uh, get through the worst of it, and at least put the food on the table to feed the kids, right? I mean that will help for a few weeks. So I think um you know I think there there are these kind of interesting products which no one's really looked at before, and and I think there are sections of society, especially you know younger people, who are moving from these kind of you know very formal jobs where you get a, a paycheck at the end of every month to to being kind of more self-employed. And, and, and therefore worried about what happens if, if they, they slip and, and hurt themselves. Um, they won't be able to work, you know, but they can't afford, you know, the, the, the big insurance policies that we all, that we, we all take. So our last question before we go is, what do you think about opportunities for younger people to get involved or anyone who has some insurance experience that might want to move into a more humanitarian effort like this? I mean, I think there are some great organizations out there. So there's an organization called the Microinsurance Network. Um, you can check their, their website out. The Microinsurance Network is, is really like an apex body for, for what's, you know, for whatever's going on in the microinsurance space. And it's a great place to go just learn, you know, who are the main people, you know, what's going on, what are the projects. There's probably kind of consulting work, stuff that you could do for a few weeks, um, you know, listed there. Um, and, and I think, you know, people, you know, people that have got a kind of insurance background, 
there's always demand for those people you know in this space so there's there's companies starting up every day um, and they're looking for people who are you know who understand insurance who understand the technicalities of insurance um, and and who want to do something in the space and I, and I think it does take a certain kind of person um, you know traveling to these places you know traveling to to Pakistan and you know getting out and getting out, you know getting to the hotel and putting on your bomb vest is not for everyone um, but you know if you like doing that kind of stuff then this is a pretty cool way of using the skills that you have, you know, I mean, you understand insurance and you can make a massive change in people's lives. Um, yeah, there's some really interesting work to be done. So, I mean, there's a lot of organizations um, and if people are interested, then by all means, you know, they can they can reach out to us and uh, here at MicroInsure, uh, I'd love to have a chat with them and, and let's see where we go. We're, we're both looking at each other fairly, basically speechless. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much, Richard. Uh, this was well beyond what I thought it was going to be as, as to how interesting the microinsurance world is and, and how knowledgeable. Well, I, I knew you'd be knowledgeable, but, but uh, how interesting microinsurance is. Uh, and ultimately, I, I think a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of our generation especially, is looking for that meaning, and they're having trouble finding it in kind of the entry-level insurance roles. And uh, that it's just great to know that, that we can take the skills we're learning and, and apply them to something that, that, that is, no, really insurance helps people, but, but something that is helping the, the people, the neediest people in the world, that's, that's amazing. So thank you, thank well, you so much for your time. Uh, and uh, we, we, you know, we hope to stay in touch and, and hopefully some of our listeners will, will reach out to us and, and uh, have some inflection, uh, an inflection point in their career. Uh, thanks to, sure. to, to to you speaking today and and uh, I don't know Carly what else did I say? We'll definitely share the links you mentioned in the show notes and sure. just thank you for your time. No problem. Have a great day and uh, yeah, good luck. And I hope uh, I hope it's been inspiring to listeners and um, yeah, I hope that it, you know causes you to think about what you might do with your with your working life. You know, you get one shot, so make sure you use it. Yes. You get one shot. Thank you. Thank you, Richard.